Thank you, Brother Steve. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, please help us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would loose my tongue for your glory. I pray that you'd fill my mind and heart with things that are precisely the thoughts that you want your people to leave with this morning. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. Please, Lord, meet with us in power and strengthen us for your glory. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Most believers, when they go to church and they hear a motivational message, they enjoy it. We enjoy it. I enjoy it. Motivational message. When the preacher gets up and he gives a passage of scripture, he gives you truth from the Bible, and he says, hey, you can make it. No matter what you're going through, you can make it. No matter where you are, hey, no matter how hard it is today, you can make it. And we say, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, I can make it. He says, look at your neighbor and say, you can make it. Oh, you can make it. I can make it. Praise the Lord. And we go home saying, I was helped today. And, hey, that's great. I love motivational messages. Most believers, when they go to church and they hear an encouraging message, they enjoy it. The preacher gets up, and I this is my favorite uh, topic to preach on is the love of God. The preacher says, God loves you. He loves you. He's your father. You're his child. You're special to him. Hey, you have a place in God's heart that nobody else can fill. And we say, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, praise the Lord. He loves me and I love him. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. And we go home saying, that was so, that was so practical. That was so relevant. Oh, that helped me today. That blessed me today. Most believers, when they go to church and they hear an instructional message, they like it. Preacher says, oh, I'm going to give you 10 ways to be more productive in your, in your life. 10 Bible ways to be more productive. And you say, oh, get my pen out. And I'm going to, I'm a piece of paper, the back of the bulletin, a blank page in the back of my Bible. I want to write down these 10 ways. These are good. And even if you never read them again, just you hearing them and writing them down will help you. And you say, oh, that's so good. That was so practical today. Yeah, that was so relevant. We go home saying, I was helped. Even most Christians, even when they hear a convicting message, most Christians enjoy it. Bless God, you need to read your Bible more. Some of you didn't even pick up your Bible this week. And you go, well, you know what? I picked it up on Thursday because I was looking for the remote. But to, but to be honest with you, Pastor, outside of that, you're right. I didn't pick it up at all the way. Hey, he's right. Hey, he's right. We need to hear that. Somebody, he needs to be saying that. That's good. Hey, bless God, you didn't spend five minutes a day in prayer. He's right. He's right. Oh, bless God, you're not tithing. You're not, you're not, you're not witnessing for Christ. Or you're, hey, you're, some folks are, you're running your mouth and you're, you're criticizing, you're gossiping, you're, you're sowing discord. And yeah, sincere Christians say, that he, he's right. He's right. Well, hey, I got to fix that. I got to do better. And we say, that's practical. That's relevant. That helped me. I, we go home, we say, I got help today. But for some reason, I'm afraid. And by the way, it's, I, it's the preacher's fault. When the preacher stands up and says, today I, I want to I give you some, some doctrine from the Bible. I want to talk to you today about redemption. We go, uh, 
Well, okay, I, I, that's good, but I, I don't see really how that's going to help me in my life. The preacher says, let me, let, me, let me tell you what the Bible says about the Trinity. God's a Trinity. Let me, let me, I want to teach you what the Bible says about that. And we say, that's, that's good, Pastor, but about, I, I don't see how that's going to help me this week. I don't see how that's relevant. I, that's not real practical preaching. I'm afraid that's the reaction of far too many Christians. And I'll say again, it's not the Christian's fault, it's the preacher's fault. But I believe with all my heart that there's nothing more practical, nothing more helpful, nothing more relevant to the child of God than a strong dose of Bible doctrine. Last Sunday night, I gave you 18 things that the Bible says about doctrine. The word doctrine is found 55 times in the Bible, six times in the Old Testament, 49 times in the New Testament. In case you're not familiar with the concept, or let me refresh your memory, Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines doctrine as, quote, a principle or position in any science. So it's not strictly a God word. A principle or position in any science Whatever is laid down as true by an instructor or master. And it says, this is in the dictionary, the doctrines of the gospel are the principles or truths taught by Christ and his apostles. Christian doctrine, now I'm not quoting the dictionary anymore. This is, this is an explanation. Christian doctrine is the foundational teachings upon which all of Christianity is built as given to us in the Bible. That's what doctrine is. And I say again, there's nothing more practical. There's nothing more helpful. There's nothing more relevant. Hey, motivational truths are great, and I love to preach them. Encouraging truths are great, and I love to preach them. Instructional truths are great, and I love to preach them. And and, uh, convicting things are great. I don't enjoy preaching those, you know, those uh, tear everybody up kind of messages. But listen, we all need them, and I need to hear them, and I listen to them often. But there's no way you're going to thrive as a Christian if you're not getting the doctrines of the Bible. There's nothing more practical, nothing more helpful, nothing more relevant to the child of God than a strong dose of Bible doctrine. So I gave you those 18 thoughts from the Bible. This morning I want to begin by giving you three of those 18 thoughts. For those of you that weren't here and those of us that were, it's going to do you good to hear it again. I want to give you three of those 18 thoughts by way of introduction. First of all, listen, these are all truths straight from the Bible. Bible doctrine changes your life, whether you know it or not. How do you take medicine every day that you have no idea what it does? You just know you have to take it. And by the way, after you take it, you know, well, I'm in better shape. Maybe you take, you know, some sort of cholesterol medicine or I take, uh, you know, blood sugar medicine every day. And I I don't know how this helps. And I don't understand all that. I, I just know I take it. And next time I go to the doctor, my numbers are better. Doctrine changes your life. Listen to Romans 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but, okay, you were the servants of sin, but you're not anymore. 
But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So doctrine, the Bible says, changes your life. Oh, it may not be as exciting as some motivational truth. And I'm not, I'm not bashing motivational truth. I, I love it. I'm not bashing encouraging, comforting truth or instruction. All those things are important. But don't think for a second that when you, when you hear or read something on the, on the subject of the atonement, that you're not being helped. Bible doctrine changes your life. Another of those 18 truths comes from 1 Timothy 4, verse number 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So take, take, be careful, watch, guard, maintain your life and maintain your doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, if you examine the context, you see he's talking to somebody who's already saved. So he's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about protecting yourself, protecting yourself from error, protecting yourself from foolish mistakes, protecting yourself from failure, protecting yourself from not reaching your full potential for God. He's talking about Protecting, when he says, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And how do you do that? By taking heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continuing therein. So it does matter that you know that Jesus is the Son of God and that you know why. It does matter that you know that the Bible is the Word of God and that you know why. That's the doctrine. The stuff that when we hear, we go, oh, okay. Okay, this, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna help me any. It's not practical, it's not relevant, so let me just go into snoozeville. No, no. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters because doctrine changes your life, Romans 6 17. Doctrine matters because the doctrine keeps you and the people you love on the right path. First Timothy 4 16. And then thirdly, I love this. Bible doctrine nourishes you. And that's the word that the Bible uses. Bible doctrine nourishes you. 1 Timothy 4, 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Doctrine nourishes you. It gives you Nourishment. How many of you know that uh, there are foods that you don't necessarily like that are good for you? How many of you are aware of that? There's things that you don't like, they're, but they're really healthy for you. You know, there's those things they call superfoods. It's all one word, by the way, superfoods. I remember the first time I looked at the superfoods list, and I was looking for bacon, and it wasn't on there. And buttered rolls were not on there. Pancakes were not on the superfoods. And nothing made by hostess was on the superfoods list. I was very disappointed. 
The things that were on the superfoods list, eh, I think I could live without those. But that's the whole point. No, you really can't live that well without those. There are things that you don't really like that are good for you. I don't forget, there's a fellow that visits our church once or twice a year, good guy. But every time he comes, I get a lecture about dieting. And so last time he came, I saw him and I said, you know what? I'm going to head him off this time. I'm going to ask him a question that will hopefully detour the lecture, you know. And I said, uh, I said hey, let me tell you something. I said, I- I'm trying to eat right here. I said, but, man, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I get so hungry, I'm going to eat whatever's in front of me. You know, I just, and so can you tell me something? This was my question. Can you tell me something that I can eat and eat and eat all I want to, and it's, it's not going to matter. It's, it's going to be okay. I can eat. And I mean, like that, he got this real optimistic, happy look on his face. He said, kale. <laughs> How many of you know that wasn't the answer I was looking for? <laughs> I wanted to hear peanut butter or something. I was not looking for kale. Do you know there are foods that nourish you that are not necessarily your favorite foods? Okay, then does it surprise you that Bible doctrine, even though it may not be your favorite thing to hear, it may not be your favorite thing to read, and you may not understand how Bible doctrine will help you. You say, I, don't, I, I can't see the change. I can't track the change. But God says it will nourish you. Bible doctrine will change your life. Bible doctrine will keep you right. Bible doctrine, and God promises these things. Bible doctrine will nourish you. It will make you stronger. It will strengthen your faith. It will strengthen your Christian character. I'm going to read you. Don't go to sleep here. I'm going to read for you a portion. This is from, this is, this is, this is supposed to be a, a snoozer here. There's no pictures in this book. There's no, there, you know, there's no uh, exciting stories or, or tear jerkers. It's called, are you ready for this? Boy, this is a snoozer right here. Manual of Theology. Written by a man named John Dagg, who was a Baptist preacher who lived in the 1800s. He was a pastor in Philadelphia. He was also a president of a, of a university in Georgia. Brilliant man. I'm going to give you, it'll take a minute, a straight dose of Bible doctrine. Listen to this. All who believe in Christ are justified by his righteousness Imputed to them. Justification is the act of a judge acquitting one who is charged with crime. It is the opposite of condemnation. In Deuteronomy, the judges of Israel were commanded in the discharge of their official duty to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Justification is a higher blessing of grace than pardon. The latter frees from the penalty due to sin, but it does not fully restore the lost favor of God. A pardoned criminal and a just man who has committed no crime stand on different ground. The distinction between pardon and justification may be illustrated by the words of Job, God forbid that I should justify you. 
If in this passage we should substitute the word pardon for justify, everyone would perceive an important change in the meaning. This change shows the difference between pardon and justification. Such is the greatness of divine grace to the sinner who returns to God through Jesus Christ that he is treated as if he had never sinned. And this is imported in the declaration that he is justified. We are, however, not to conceive of these as separate blessings. It is not true that one sinner is justified and another merely pardoned. But every penitent believer is both pardoned and justified. As repentance and faith are duties mutually implying each other, so pardon and justification are twin blessings of grace bestowed together through Jesus Christ. All whom Jesus delivers from the wrath to come are freely justified from all things and presented faultless before the presence of his glory. That's Bible doctrine right there. By the way, I, didn't read, I haven't read the whole book. And I didn't read and say, let me find the most interesting part of that book and share it. I, I, all I looked for in advance was I want something that is a complete thought. That doesn't leave you hanging or, or depend on the paragraphs around it. And I found that on the topic of justification. And let me tell you, if you were to read, and that probably took maybe two minutes, if you were to read that much doctrine every day, it would change who you are. Bible doctrine will change your life, Romans 6 says. Bible doctrine will keep you right. Bible doctrine will nourish you. Now, having said all that, and I've just laid the foundation, and the rest is going to go very quickly. I'm simply going to just about read the rest to you. Having laid the foundation by showing you from the Bible that, yes, doctrine is relevant to your life. Doctrinal preaching, doctrinal truths are extremely practical. And I proved it to you from the Bible. I want to give you very quickly 10 core doctrines of the Christian state. Now, by the way, I'm taking what I preached last Sunday night and giving you a sample on Sunday morning, but tonight we're going right back to this thing of doctrine. And I'm going to begin to lay out for you some, and I don't know, it may last just tonight, it may go into next week. I don't mean one message is going to last all week. I'm talking about we may do it again next Sunday night. I may stay on this for a while on Sunday nights. Laying out for you core doctrines of the Christian faith, explaining to you what they are about, and God promises that you will be strengthened. So this morning is just a little bit of a sample. Ten core doctrines. Now, let me say, these are not the ten core doctrines. There are more. And there was, you know, I'm sure there'd be some Bible scholar who'd say, preacher, you should have included it. I'm not listing the ten most important doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm giving you ten that are core. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if you don't believe these ten, you're not a Bible-believing Christian. Now, I realize we live in a country where anybody can call themselves anything they want to. But by the definitions given in the Bible, you are not a Bible-believing Christian if you don't believe in these core doctrines. Let me give, you, give them to you. I'm going to give you the doctrine. One of the proof texts of that doctrine. And then I may explain it a little bit or I may just keep going. First one, there is one God. 
Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Number two, God is a trinity. Three beings, one God. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and we find out in John 1 that the Word is Jesus Christ. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, there are dozens of ways to prove from the Bible that God is a trinity. Three persons, one God. That's all through the Bible. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But that none is more concise and clear. And this verse states that all three are, are one God. And that's why, and this is a, this is a little different topic, but I'm going to hit it anyway as long as I'm in the neighborhood. That's why 1 John 5, 7 is one of the most attacked verses in these other versions of the Bible. You check out these modern versions if you're going to waste your time and pick one up and read 1 John 5, 7. I just read it for you. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You would not believe what it says, for example, in the American Standard Version. It waters. Hey, let me read you the NIV. You ready? Let me read the King James again. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Clear teaching on the Trinity. Let me read the NIV, the whole verse. For there are three that testify. That's the whole verse. And let me stop and say this. NIV Christianity is not the same kind of Christianity as what we... I'm not just bashing a version of the Bible. I'm telling you the Christianity that is based on NIV is not the same Christianity as what we're presenting in Northeast Baptist Church. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not the judge of that. I'm telling you it is not the same kind of Christianity as what grows out of the Bible. There's one God. God is a trinity. Three beings, one God. Third core Bible doctrine. The Bible is the perfect word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Fourth core doctrine of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you continue in the context, clearly you see it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is, listen, any, anybody, I don't care how much of a scholar they are, I don't care what kind of a reputation they have as a minister, anybody, anybody who says that, uh, well, Jesus was a good man, he was a good teacher, but to call him God, that's going too far. That's a fraud, and they don't know Christ, and they're not going to heaven. You cannot be a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So how, wait, wait, wait a second. Pastor, you, you need to explain that, Okay. You're going to heaven because you trusted the price that Jesus paid on the cross. If Jesus is not God, Jesus is not perfect. If Jesus is not perfect, he could not pay for your sins. 
And so if you don't understand that the payment for your sins was the payment of a perfect sacrifice provided by God Almighty, you can't possibly be saved. Number five, core doctrine, Jesus was born of a virgin mother. Now, if he wasn't born of a virgin mother, he wasn't God. So it's absolutely essential that you believe and understand that. Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Core doctrine number six. Jesus died on the cross as our substitute for sin. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Core doctrine number seven, Jesus rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're not saved. And if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not saved. Core doctrine number eight, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't work your way to heaven. You trust Christ. He saves your soul and takes you to heaven. Core doctrine number nine, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to every believer. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, capital C, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Core doctrine number 10, Jesus is coming back. Acts chapter 1, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go to heaven. Ten core doctrines. Uh, Now, those are not the only doctrines of the Christian faith. And there'd be some doctrines that somebody would say, well, preacher, you should have included this one. Well, maybe I should have, but I can tell you there are not ten doctrines that are more important than the ten I just gave you. Everything you believe, everything you do, everything you strive for as a Christian is based upon these core doctrines. And I urge you this morning to learn Bible doctrine, learn Christian doctrine. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And feed on it. Feed on it. You look at any science, any craft, who excels in that science or in that craft? The person who eats and breathes and sleeps. You give me two athletes in any sport, and their work ethic may be the same, their talent level may be the same, but one of those guys, let's say they're football players, one of those guys eats and breathes and sleeps football, football, football. The other guy, he couldn't name for you 10 great players from the past at his position. 
He has no idea who holds what records. He couldn't name for you the teams that have won Super Bowls in various years. Well, I mean, I couldn't either, but, but I'm not the one that makes my living playing football. Those two guys, everything else being equal, the guy who lives and eats and breathes and sleeps football is going to have an advantage on the other guy. Even though you'd say, well, how's it going to make you a better football player to know who was the winning quarterback in the 1993 Super Bowl? I can't tell you how it does. But because he eats and breathes and sleeps and lives football, 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 you know it's going to make him a better player. And that is a very lame illustration of the fact that you, if you live and eat and breathe and sleep Bible doctrine, it may not be your favorite thing. It may not be your favorite kind of a book to to turn to. It may not be your favorite uh, topic to, to study in the Bible. You may say, man, but pastor, I do a whole lot better when I'm reading Proverbs and I can, I can write down, you know, 10 things that wisdom will do for you. That's great. And I'm not minimizing. It's not, that's not secondary to doctrine. That's what's called instruction. That's not secondary to doctrine. But you're not going to thrive as a Christian until you learn to love doctrine. And then can I say this, talk Bible doctrine with other believers. And I'm not talking about debating. It may not be unhealthy once in a while to debate some topic, but there's there's more to discussing things than debating. Do you have a friend in this world that you can call up and say, you know what, I've been been studying in the Bible, I've been studying about uh, the, the deity of Christ. And let me give you some of the verses that I've read about the deity of Christ. Can you, do you have, have you studied this? Have you studied the deity of Christ? Do you know of a verse in the Bible that says it, that, that I'm missing, that may be a favorite verse of yours? Yeah, I don't have a friend like that. Just having a friend that you can talk doctrine to. Hey, by the way, you say, well, if I had a friend like that, well, yeah, I would talk doctrine with them. Well, maybe there's somebody out there that the Lord would cross your path with who could talk doctrine with you if you knew anything about it. We are such shallow Christians in 2017 Christianity. And one of the areas where we need to go a whole lot deeper is in this matter of doctrine. Father, I pray that you'd help us, please.